This is the Armchair Cricket Podcast. Hello all. Welcome to another episode of Armchair Cricket Podcast, a podcast focusing on test cricket by Armchair Critics of the Game. I'm your host, Ajit. So, in a week where we would like to focus on county uh, championship, the English uh, Premier First Class tournament, and uh, get a bit more information about this, we have a county cricket expert joining us, Gary from uh, Guerrilla Cricket Fame. Hello, Gary. Welcome to the podcast. Hello, Ajit. How are you? I'm doing good. Thanks for joining us and giving us your time. I'm delighted. Me, as well as our fans who listen to our podcast, they are also fans of Guerrilla Cricket, and I'm sure yours is a very uh, well-recognizable voice from that medium. <laughs> well, you're very kind. So, first of all, before we get into uh, anything else, I would like to understand a little bit about your you know, influences, uh, what got you into cricket, what's keeping you there, and so on. So, where did it start? Well, I, I guess it was um, the long summer vacations in England uh, where in the 70s there, there wasn't a great deal to do if you were a kid. You know, there was only three television channels. Uh, the, you could only go to the cinema so often. I used to play a little bit of tennis in the public park, uh, a bit of pick-up football now and again. But, the you know, the time hung heavy in the air. And... Um, the test matches and the knockout uh, competition, then it was the Gillette Cup in the 70s, were broadcast on the BBC, um, famously uh, free-to-air. Uh, so with not much else to do, um, I used to put the television on and, and watch the cricket at quite a young age. I mean, my, my father was a, a fan as well. That always helps. And... Um, Sort of started watching this game. I, I enjoyed numbers, so I liked all those scorecards and trying to memorize uh, the the sort of uh, first innings as it as it progressed. And then at about uh, I think I just turned twelve when I went to my first first class match, um, first county cricket, and that was at uh, Egbeth in Liverpool. And it was Lancashire against Hampshire in 1975. And this will give you an idea of the strength of the county championship, but it will also give you an idea of how a, a boy can become uh, a man, uh, and now a man of advancing years who is still as fascinated with the domestic game in England as, as he was back then. Because in that first match at an outground, Lancashire usually play at Old Trafford, but they were playing... Uh, at uh, Liverpool, at Egbeth. Um, Clive Lloyd made a century for Lancashire. Um, Andy Roberts uh, took, I think, nine wickets in the match. Uh, Barry Richards made a century for Hampshire. Gordon Greenwich got 50. I think David Lloyd got uh, got some runs as well. Farouk Engineer was keeping wicket. Um, this extraordinary cavalcade of... of really all-time great cricketers, not just great cricketers. Um, and I was watching them not sort of 70 yards away uh, in the crowd. And I went to all three days. Um, I remembered it was Andy Roberts' pace that made the biggest impact on me. He was lightning quick at that point. 
uh, in his career. Um, but you know, obviously Barry Richards was was just a, a delight. He was so obviously head and shoulders above everybody else. I think possibly even including Gordon Greenwich and uh, Clive Lloyd. But they were all such different uh, players. Barry Richards had all that time. Clive Lloyd, Clive Lloyd was was brutal. Hit the ball immensely hard with that big heavy bat of his, and Greenwich was just so uh, light on his feet, and he had that uh, that uh, cut shot that that he hit so hard through point. Um, but if your first exposure to professional cricket is uh, is Lancashire against Hampshire in 1975, I can promise you this: you're going to go back. Clearly, clearly. I mean, when you have such a huge cavalcade of stars that are being put in front of you, and you think this is how cricket is played. I mean, it's a, such a mix of international stars and local stars. But at all, you wouldn't be thinking so much. But you would just say, "Wow, look at this game! I really, I really love it." But then, any any chance you maybe in your backyard uh, try to uh, emulate one of these people you mentioned? Maybe Clive Lloyd. Yeah, I played. I played and, you know, I played for the school at um, state schools then. Uh, there was still quite a bit of cricket played. Uh, it was the summer game. Uh, I was never much good at football, although I enjoyed playing football, but I got to be quite good at cricket. I was an opening bowler. I wanted to be Andy Roberts in particular. I wanted to be Michael Holding even more than I wanted to be Mike, uh, Andy Roberts. Um, so I was an opening bowler and at the age of, 14 or so, I started playing adult cricket um, on some decent pitches in the Liverpool competition. Uh, at 15 or 16, I was playing second team cricket, which was a decent standard. First team was a very decent standard. Um, but that was kind of my level. Uh, I learned to to bowl a good line and length. I was I was quick enough to open the bowling at the standard I was playing. I had a decent outswinger. I could never bat. It's always hopeless at batting, but it gave me a lot of uh, a lot of pleasure, and it also introduced me to adult society in lots of different ways. Um, I was playing amongst lawyers and doctors and dentists, and I never knew these people. I grew up in working class Liverpool. My father was a panel beater. My mother mm -hmm. worked on the school dinners. So it was also a, a window into a, a, a different kind of strata of society, not a better strata, but a stratum, but a, a different one all the same. Um, so cricket was very, uh, it was quite a glamorous thing for me to be doing, believe it or not, uh, in my teens. And um, I, I just enjoyed it enormously. I played Saturdays and Sundays and midweek. And I, I just bowled and fielded with uh, with great enthusiasm and rather hope they didn't get down to the number 11 required to bat. Uh, so I, I played a lot as, as well. So it was a it was a big part of, of my life. I remained a, a football fan in the winter, but there were clearly defined seasons then. So you stopped being a football fan and became a cricket fan uh, when the calendar tipped around to about uh, the beginning of May or so. Wonderful. No wonder you retain your touch even today when it comes to following the county championship. I've read some of your articles, those that have come on Guardian as well as on your own blog. Wonderful, insightful articles. So I would also recommend this, uh, Gary Naylor, uh, very easily findable online and uh, very nice, in, you know, incisive articles. So if you were to go on to the current county championship, 
So there have been a couple of rounds already. I think three games most teams have played. When I look at Division One, Surrey are on top two wins and a draw. So did you get to see any championship matches live already this season, Kerry? When I start writing the column, um, which I do every week uh, at the Guardian, I'll, I'll talk a little about its genesis in a moment. But uh, when I start writing the column at the beginning of each season, I make sure that I go to a couple of uh, of uh, days uh, at least at the matches to get a kind of feel for how the camp how the county championship is being played. There's always new players. There are always new playing conditions. There's of often a wrinkle or two in the rules. <clears throat> I find all that quite hard to keep up with. So I let that roll over me. But you always want to want to get a, a, a feeling for the crowds as well. Uh, you can't really write about something without being there in person. And so the first two days of the county championship, I was at the Oval, and um, I enjoyed watching uh, Surrey play against... Um, ooh, who were they playing? This is typical of me. I forget who they're playing. I think it was Hampshire. And um, the second round of matches, I was at uh, Lords to see uh, Middlesex playing against uh, uh, Derbyshire, I think. And you just get a a kind of feel for the the games and you get to see some of the players. Mm -hmm. You see how uh, the ball is moving. You also get to explode a few myths that do the rounds. One of the things that gets spoken about too often in the English game is that uh, it's hard to bat on April green tops and that spinners are locked out of the game by so many county championship matches being played early season so when you go to the grounds and you see that it's not a green top when you see batsmen making hundreds and double hundreds and there's been quite a few already in the county championship this year and you see spin bowlers playing a big part in the matches it kind of allows you to explode those myths that can do the rounds and there is a particular issue that we have with the county championship which again i'll come to in a moment uh about such myths uh so i have been to a couple of rounds i didn't go to any in the the last round of matches because i'm afraid i was doing one of my uh my other gigs which is uh i'm a theater reviewer so i was up at stratford upon avon shakespeare's birthplace to see uh to see uh, a double header uh at the royal shakespeare theater up there so that rather punched a hole in my week so um so i wasn't able to see as much cricket all right for somebody who's been let's say following championship cricket for ah, more than 50 years now i must ask uh, what are your thoughts on how it has evolved since are you happy with the way it's been conducted now well this is this is one of the the points uh, i said i'd refer to because the ecb uh, that's the english cricket board uh, who govern the game in england and wales they almost seem embarrassed about the county, county championship. It's almost that they they want to be down. So when they make changes, they can say, ah, oh, well, it wasn't working anyway. Um, so it gets very little in the way of promotion. Uh, the, the ECB are quicker to uh, send tweets out about um, possible signings for the 100 than they are about the matches which are actually taking place in their own first-class tournament. Um, so county cricket needs its champions. And when you 
when you go there and you see the product, for want of a better word, you see a pretty good standard of cricket. Okay, it's not test match standard, but it's not rubbish by any means. And I think you'll find that most of the the people who denigrate uh, county cricket barely watch any of it. Um, this is this is one of the real problems we have, I think, with social media, is that commentators who are currently uh, employed by, uh, to talk about the IPL, for example, which is currently underway, and that's perfectly fine. There's a tournament there that needs its commentators, needs its comment. We'll also uh, hold forth about the county championship, and I don't understand how they're able to see the matches. There's no evidence of them uh, following the uh, the uh, tournament with any close eye. And yet, because they have a strong presence online, they're able to say things like, oh, the county championship isn't fit for purpose. We need eight franchises, not 16 counties or 18 counties, and so on and so forth. And I feel this is, this is very unfair. And... There is a growing number, the likes of uh, of uh, Annie Chave at County Cricket Matters as a, a big voice in this, um, of people who are fighting back for the county championship, independent voices, and they're saying, look, you know, if our own governing body are not going to promote the county championship, then we'll promote the county championship. We'll bring people to it. Um, we'll support the, the fans who attend regularly. And it's never going to make a great deal of money. The county championship has never made a lot of money. But I can sit in a crowd at the Oval, as I've done on a number of occasions, sit in a crowd at the Oval all day. And then in the evening, I can go to the Royal Opera House in Covent Garden that's been there since the 1730s or something. And I can watch Grand Opera. And I can tell you this. There are more people at the Oval watching county cricket than there are watching the opera at the Royal Opera House. In most parts of England, most cities, and certainly in most towns, when there is a championship game on and the sun is shining, the biggest attendance at a single event that day will be the county championship. Now, 3,500 people rattling around the Oval, which holds about 26,000, doesn't look like very many. But but again, you tell me, in London, next Thursday or whatever, where, where will you find 3,500 people attending a single event? County, county cricket is big and remains big, but it needs to make sure that the voices that support it, the people who enjoy it, are out there promoting it, are out there getting the conversation going. And this was part of why I started writing my final over of the week in county cricket, um, which was a year later taken up by The Guardian. This is about eight or nine years ago. Because I was losing touch with county cricket. I found it so hard to find match reports because they were not appearing in newspapers nor often on news websites at that time. Um, you put the radio on for the sports bulletin, which is the traditional way in England to catch up with the events in sport over the previous day. Mm -hmm. And the BBC were barely covering county cricket, uh, sometimes not at all, not giving the scores, not giving the results. And so I felt I was losing touch with an important part of my life. Uh, and I wasn't losing touch because I wanted to move on. I was losing touch because 
all of the traditional vectors which conveyed the information and the interest to me had decided to leave county cricket behind as though it was some kind of neglected orphan that uh, that nobody wanted to know anymore and I was sure that I wanted to know about it but I was equally sure that there were many others who also wanted to know about it and so I gave myself the discipline of each week sitting down and looking at the county scorecards uh sort of mapping, if you like, the topology of the season, seeing which teams were on the up, how the divisions were playing out, and looking at the players who were making their mark, either with bat in hand or ball in hand, and increasingly these days, looking at clips of some of the extraordinary uh, performances. Tom Banton's catch last week for Somerset, absolutely amazing. Mm -hmm. Reminded me of Tendulkar's catch at Old Trafford in 1990, uh, running in from the boundary, one-handed scoop. And um, so I, I decided to write this this column where I would pick out six incidents relating it to how the season was progressing. And what that's done, um, particularly since The Guardian uh, very kindly picked it up and uh, will publish it every, every Monday, it's, it's brought together a little online community uh, at The Guardian, which were which now is supplemented by their uh, live coverage, their live blogs about the county championship, which at that time uh, did not happen, but now happen every day of county cricket. And it's produced an online community, which unlike lots of online communities being full of trolls and put full of people saying awful things about lots of stuff, it's actually very supportive. And we sometimes meet up in real life and we enjoy each other's company. Um, Many of us are older, but not all by any means. And it's just, I think, uh, created a little oasis uh, for county cricket, which is independent of the ECB. It's independent of players' agents and PR and everything else. And uh, sits somewhere between reporting and, and feature writing. But its main function is, as the title says, uh, to provide talking points so people can come together below the line, as they say, and talk about the, the county game, exchange views, rumours, uh, celebrate players, uh, this kind of thing. And if you'd said to me eight or nine years ago when I had the idea of, of writing this weekly column to, to reattach myself to the county game, that it would become uh, this this lovely little place that I'm lucky enough, as I sometimes describe myself, I'm lucky enough to be the conductor while uh, those who join in below the line are, are very much the, the orchestra uh, playing the music there. Um, then, you know, I would never have believed it possible, but here we are. Um, we're three weeks into the season. I've written three of the columns. I get up on a Monday morning and I write them and my, my friend and colleague Paul Chapman at the uh, at the Guardian, he uh, he tops and tails them and adds in the photos, and away we go. And um, it certainly makes the county championship more interesting to me. I hope it makes it more interesting, or rather, county cricket more interesting to me. I hope it makes it more interesting to readers as well. And um, it's like many things uh, in life, especially the older you get, you you fall into these things and. You're reminded of uh, of John Lennon's dictum that you know uh, life's what is what happens when you're making other plans. Because I wasn't planning on doing any of this, but uh, but here I am now uh, on a Monday morning 
uh, with a job to do, uh, but a job that I very, very much enjoy. Absolutely. Look, for me, this sort of things keep this, uh, keep the, uh, you know, the spirit of the county championship going. And yeah. for me, look, it's, it's, it's an interregnum, if I may put it like this, where some of the short format cricket has begun to assert itself, but county championship is here to stay. As you said, you have this tradition of parents taking um, kids to watch their first county championship game along with them. I see many tweets about it these days, right? And it, it sort of also gladdens my heart that this tradition is being passed on in every house or in most houses where, as you say, it's a sunny day out, it's a Saturday or a Sunday, what you do, you go out, you sit with your kid, watch the county championship, have something to eat and go home, right? So yeah. maybe if you are a discerning uh, you know, a person, you would probably then go to the opera house or not. But, <laughs> you know, the point is um, that's still there. So I'm just saying this championship is here to stay and it will continue to be here and prosper while the other formats sort of assert themselves, but it will again reclaim its space. So the work that you and Annie Chev, you already said another name. So another uh, guerrilla cricket stalwart, I might say. So what you guys are doing is very important for the game as well. So... Uh, first of all, I think everybody out there also appreciates the county cricket fan appreciate what you do, and uh, we long may it continue from uh, you know from a person who's reading these articles perspective. And so, if I may have a quick uh, question here yes. from the three from the three weeks of uh, what you've already followed. So, how does the table look? I see some of the solid teams. Somerset is right at the bottom when you look at the first uh, division, and then. You have some solid teams right in the middle, Yorkshire, all of these, Essex, right? Kent are near the bottom. Uh, do you think this is going to write itself as the season goes on? Well, Surrey are on top, probably you're happy. Well, it's it's kind of, it's what used to be until I think the last, probably just before COVID, I started to notice this because the last two seasons have been somewhat disrupted. I think one of the flaws of the county championship is becoming one of its strengths. And that flaw was that the, the form of, of teams would fluctuate according to international calls, according to players either uh, leaving to take up opportunities in franchise cricket or players coming back from franchise cricket. So in some ways it's hard to answer that because you know, if Lancashire at the moment uh, that uh, got the best record with two wins from two, if they lose, they'll obviously uh, they're likely to lose Jimmy Anderson. Uh, they may lose uh, Josh Bohannon. Uh, they may lose Saqib Mahmood. They may lose Matt Parkinson. This is all to international calls. Uh, they may or may not get Joss Butler back. I think it's unlikely that he'll want to play uh, county cricket, but he might play county cricket uh, if he's not playing for England in the test matches after the IPL. All of that kind of uncertainty of personnel makes any kind of prediction quite hard to, to make because the composition of the sides in April and May may look quite different in the midsummer matches. I think there's a couple of rounds or so in June and July, and then different again in September. But as I say, this this used to be seen as something of a something of a, a problem. Um, but now I think it's a strength. And the reason I think it's a strength is that a lot of sport, professional sport, has become highly predictable. You can you you can name the four 
Champions League finalists pretty easily. Um, there's usually a, a one, one or two wild cards in there, but they're not really wild cards. So this time round, I think it's it's Chelsea, Liverpool, Manchester City, and um, Villarreal. I think. Um, but you can tell by my uncertainty that I'm not really interested because the previous year it might have been Chelsea, Manchester City, Liverpool, and Bayern Munich, or it might have been uh, Real Madrid and Liverpool and Chelsea. And it's the same teams over and over again. So it's predictable um, in football uh, here, which is the biggest sport by far in, in, in England. Um, Liverpool and Manchester City are so far ahead of the rest. It's, it's, it's not really a competition. They're that far ahead. Um, in in tennis, we've had uh, Novak Djokovic and Nadal and Federer uh, at the top for long a long, long time. And we know why sport has become more predictable like this. It's because money is playing its part. Uh, it's making uh, the, the best players go to inverted commas, the best clubs, but it's also to do with nutrition and management and squad sizes and all this kind of stuff. Um, but county cricket's not really like that. Um, you're never quite sure who's going to be playing in county cricket. You're never sure whether a Darren Stevens is going to play into his 45 as he is now, or a Gareth Berg coming through and playing his first uh, first class match at 27 and still playing and being an important uh, member of the team at, at 41. Um, you get young players coming through. Uh, Sussex's Tom Haynes is captain at uh, at 23. He was the highest run scorer last year in the county championship. Um, it's this extraordinary kind of cavalcade of unpredictability. Uh, Hampshire lose by an innings one week to Hampshire, win by an innings the next week and uh, against Kent. And you just don't know what's going to happen. And this used to feel, you know, a, a little a little hard to, to pull out narratives, to talk about a team being in form uh, and so on. And it used to be a little irritating. But I think now it's it's embraced. And now you look at the, the teams, and especially when you're going live to a match, you're interested in, in seeing who's turning out. There's a lot of people very keen to see uh, Jimmy Anderson because they know he's coming to the end of his uh, long and illustrious career. So you're looking forward to seeing, is he playing for Lancashire? But you're also looking to see uh, new, exciting young talents like uh, like Matt Parkinson uh, at uh, Lancashire, Liam Patterson-White, who's uh, attracting a lot of attention at, at Knotts. Uh, one of my favourites, Kieran Carlson at uh, Glamorgan, who had some of a breakthrough season last year. And and it's much more of a, this unpredictability is is exciting in its own way. And it means you can't look away for very long because when you look back, it's all changed again. Um, so what used to be, say, a, a possible flaw in the county championship, the, the players coming and going a little bit at the behest of external organizations be it the ec or external tournaments be it the ecb with test and international matches or the ipl or caribbean premier league or or whatever franchise cricket there is around um that's now all a part of this extraordinary cavalcade of of matches that are played in 
in England's big cities and also, but also in its market towns at, uh, at, at festivals where it's, it's linked to long, long running over a century worth of traditions and old friends meet in marquees and share a handshake and a beer and stuff like this. It's, uh, it's an extraordinary thing. And I'm developing a, an idea that I had three or four or maybe more, maybe five or six years ago, I'll have to find my first reference to it um, because I, th I think I'll use it in the article that I'm going to write for the next edition of County Cricket Matters, which is I think County Cricket deserves a status akin to listed buildings. Now, listed buildings in the, <laughs> in the UK, I'm not sure if you're aware of listed buildings in the UK. You'll know that that there are certain buildings in the UK that because of their cultural importance or their heritage, um, the owners are not allowed to knock down. They're not allowed to change them in any particularly significant way. Um, they can change use perhaps, um, but they can't change the external features and many of the internal features because they are part of, of, the UK's cultural heritage and need to be preserved for the benefit of future generations. Now, I think a case can be made for the county championship along those same lines, that, that these ancient counties, and some of them are ancient indeed, been playing cricket for, I mean, they've been playing cricket at Lords for well over 200 years, and I'm not sure how long Middlesex has been playing there, but certainly over 100, probably about 150. Um, these are cultural artefacts that are worth preserving. These are cultural artefacts that it would be an act of vandalism were they to be destroyed. And I think something like listed building status needs to be attached to the county championship so that it isn't dismantled, so that it doesn't become eight franchises or have a layer put over it, uh, on top of it where, you know, um, I know they have it in India where the Ranji Trophy has a kind of layer above it where the North play the South and West and so on, like, uh, mm -hmm. like the old uh, trials for the test teams. The, the other but trophy. The, the county champ yeah, go on. Is it? I think it's called the yeah. other trophy, yeah. Yeah. So, um, but, you know, there's not a billion people in the UK. There's, there's 60 or 70 million or so. So 18 counties is plenty enough for us to both service the population uh, with first-class cricket and the opportunities first-class cricket affords young cricketers, but also to provide a test team if that test team is managed appropriately, as indeed the one-day team has been managed appropriately over the last five or six years. So we don't need to tamper with it too much. Uh, we need to accept that it's not going to make a lot of money, but it'll certainly wash its face, as we used to say. Uh, in terms of generating enough income to, pl to pay players. Maybe some of the players who don't play international cricket will have to trade down from their BMWs to something a little uh, less, uh, <laughs> less attractive in terms of their, their motor vehicle choice. But the county cricket, county cricket should be preserved and we should not be inviting franchise cricket into into the first class structure of the uk because here's the thing the first class structure works may not be working that well at the moment but we can't let a couple of bad ashes tours um because that's what it is not so long ago we were winning in, in india for example um so we can't uh, tear up a hundred or more years history because Zach Crawley keeps nicking off the second slip. Come on. 
look there's a bit of uh, concern that i understand but i think as i said this institution has grown strong enough over the years that it will withstand these winds of change that are blowing about and it will reassert itself in time for sure and uh, I, i used to think like that a year or two ago but i'm moving into the camp now that has real concerns that within my lifetime uh the county championship will be no more um and that 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 worries me i'm not as confident as you and i'm not as confident as i was two or three years ago for sure look as somebody watching it from outside what i can tell you is the ashes still captures the imagination of the english uh, sportsman uh, audiences like no other right the sporting audiences of england yeah. still want their teams to win when it comes to ashes you might be a football fan you might actually be following the football season actively over the winter but if england are traveling you would still follow the sides right so for me oh yes playing against some of the top teams out there as well as the ashes will remain at least in our lifetime i'm hoping uh, still the primacy of what is called cricket for english crowds so for me the county championship all will always retain its uh, relevance and i dare say it might even grow it might grow and become stronger because of that because at least the recent um, setbacks will probably uh, force the people who are at least in charge in the counties to actually relook see if the structure is right maybe it's not just about keeping their team strong but also the entire championship strong right so that 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 sort of thought process will come is is what i'm thinking because look if you were to take a quick look at what's happening and uh, you still see a lot of good performances coming from young british uh, sports people uh, when it comes to first class performances right so you just took a couple of names yourself like haynes right and then jamie yeah. overton i remember from your article right so yeah somebody who's injury will need to be managed but that's another longer uh, uh, topic but at the end of the day you have all of these eye catching youngsters who are still able to perform and well at least i don't see the sort of problem that a country like south africa or west indies may face where you do well you get a couple of tests then you're already looking which franchise can i settle down with right so that's not there because that's not there in the british consciousness that's what i'm trying to say that these players will want to come back and play well whether josh butler or somebody like johnny bersto comes back and plays or not that's one question but still you have jimmy anderson playing you have stuart broad playing i'm sure they have earned enough to last them a lifetime's comfort but they're still there because they're still trying to prove a point that they are still not over the hill right so that brings me back quickly to the question of uh is it stokes for you or do you see somebody else as a potential <laughs> captain in test for england well it's yeah uh, see old talking head song once in a lifetime comes to mind you know where david burn sort of screams out my god how did we get here um how did we get hmm. to a situation where there doesn't seem to be any credible candidate to be england's captain um it's extraordinary i i would not give it to stokes for a whole number of reasons right. uh first of all it's overloading a man who who clearly has issues with managing the workload he's got now um so i i i i think it would be risky uh from ing's perspective to give it to stokes but i think it would be risky for him to be put in a position where he feels he has to accept it he has had periods out of the game um and i think he he's likely to continue to 
need those periods out of the game. Whether he takes them or not is another matter. But he's clearly uh, someone um, who who you should not be looking to take the cricketer who who has most on his shoulders for England and say, here, have some more. That seems to me the council of fools. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, there is an argument which says, well, make him test captain, but have him not play the T20 or not play the ODI stuff or not play franchise cricket. But I, I, I just don't see that at all. I think that has to be the the man's decision uh, himself as to how he wants to balance his workload. Uh, but I, I don't think England can play the kind of calendar of test tests that the ECB seem to want them to play and give the captaincy to to Ben Stokes. There's also, I think, issues about his on-field behaviour, which um, does not speak uh, to leadership qualities, in in my view. I understand he needs to get revved up, and you know, I've seen him do extraordinary things on the field, uh, in person and on television. Um, and I understand that's his, his temperament and that's how he plays. But I don't think you could have a leader picking fights as regularly as, as Ben Stokes picks fights with opponents um, because he's got to be looking after his own team, not not to messing about with the opposition. We, we saw how Ricky Ponting unraveled in 2005 when he started thinking more about... Uh, picking fights with opponents and with uh, Duncan Fletcher, England's coach, than he did about his own players. And Ricky Ponting has since become a a, a brilliant commentator and an astute uh, thinker on the game. But he got that wrong in 2005. And I think uh, England would be in danger of going down the route that they've already gone down with Ian Botham and with uh, Andrew Flintoff and and taking a, a dual from the batting and bowling and trying to shake them into a captain and losing the luster uh, of their performances. Um, one option is to take a, a cricketer from the county game, uh, a captain from the county game, and, and uh, give them a go. And um, the, the candidates would be, I think, this year, Tom Abel and James Vince. James Vince has had, I think, a couple of goes at test cricket. His technique is loose, uh, the kind of technique that will get you scores of 120 and 20 in the county game, but in the test match arena tends to get you scores of 20 and 30 because you, you get found out nicking off or slapping one in the air to extra cover. So I'm not sure James Vince is the answer. I'd like to see Tom Abel. He was, he's an experienced captain at Somerset and um, he's been successful at Somerset, although he's, as usual, the absolute top prize has eluded the county, as it always has throughout their history. Uh, but he's he's of a in his, his mid twenties. He's just come off the back of a hundred and fifty not out, albeit in a losing cause. That's a very Somerset thing to do, by the way, um, in the in the county game. And you know he he may be he may be a kind of Graham Smith like uh, figure who was plucked out of relative anonymity nine tests i think he'd had for south africa 22 23 years of age and is now the most uh by distance i think has captained uh, an international uh, an international side in the most tests so i mean that can work so tom abel uh, could come from relative obscurity and be given the england captaincy but i think on balance um 
I think I'd give it to Stuart Broad. Um, but I'd I'd give it in the same way that Australia have given the captaincy to Patrick Cummins. I'd say, you know, you've got a, a deputy in Joe Root, um, who's not the greatest tactical thinker by a very long chalk, but nevertheless, he's won more test matches than any other England captain in history. So he must have something about him, although it's often hard to discern that when it comes to captaincy, not batting and not being a good bloke because he's brilliant at batting and he's brilliant at being a good bloke, but he's not very brilliant at captaincy. But if you said to him, look, you're going to take it on. You may need to miss one or two matches now and again to manage your workload. You have to listen to your body. Um, but Joe Root is your deputy. Um, he'll help you on the field. Um, he, he may be able to, to offer if you're bowling to he'll take charge of the field placings and all of that um to give you a break from that uh and see how that works but the voice in the dressing room the voice in the media uh the voice that the players hear will be Stuart Broads and um I think there's a case for that for a year or so to see how it goes um it would be a departure because the captain has always been seen as the linchpin and obviously you'd be diluting a bit of that uh if Stuart Broad were captain with Joe Rooter's deputy and captain in matches that Broad missed. Uh why on Joe the other Root? hand why Joe Root? Why not well, go he's to, got the experience. Go to Zach he's, Crawley. He's both, go to go to Sam Billings. Yes. Somebody who might next be your captain once you decide Sam to Billings move on. Hardly, huh. He hardly plays Red Bull cricket. Um he, he speaks well in the media. He may uh be able to at some point in the future. But I think if Billings is going to be captain, I think you've got to say, well, you've got to play a, a whole season of county championship cricket. And if Billings says, well, oh, I want to stick with my IPL franchise, I'll say that's absolutely your right. Good luck to you, but you're not going to be playing IPL franchise cricket and test cricket for England. You can't do that. Um, Joss Butler couldn't do it. Uh, Johnny Burstow couldn't do it for a while. It remains to be seen whether he can do it. There's no evidence that that mix of skills, that mix of priorities, that mix of tournaments is something that will work. That doesn't mean to say we shouldn't try it, but um, Billings hasn't got an irrefutable case other than the fact, you know, he is very good on, on, uh, in the media, and he went to the inverted commas right schools for a lot of uh, people. Mm -hmm. But I'd give I'd give Broad I'd give Broad it for a year or more, which you know doesn't sound much, but a year of Test cricket for England is seventeen Tests or something, so it's plenty of uh, plenty of time out in the middle, and then see if if one of the other players can uh, one of the other possible leaders can nail down a place in the uh, eleven. And become indispensable because the problem is, apart from Root, <coughs> nobody is indispensable. Anderson can't play every match. He can't play back-to-back -back tests. Mm -hmm. Broad possibly can't play back-to-back -back tests. Um, there's no other player who who is so sure of their place that you can say to them, "Well, you take the captaincy," because at the very least, we're going to stick with you for a, a year because nobody's place is secure for England because they've won what is it one test of their last. 15 or something like that. Um, right. So they've got to try something new, and maybe that's the best of a bad job. Give it to Broad, give him Joe Root as deputy, and then see who emerges as a player who has both the skills and the temperament required to lead the team. Interesting, interesting approach. I'd never heard of 
this yet in all my talks over the last couple of weeks or so. But okay, so what's that? You've never, you've never heard of the broad plus root? Yes. Yeah. Uh, well, it's it's the Australian option that people thought was a bit strange, Cummins plus Smith. But you know, Australia seems to be doing quite well with that. I'm I'm not saying that Stuart Broad and Pat Cummins are are the same characters uh, by any means. I think Patrick Cummins is extremely impressive in everything he does. It's absolutely no surprise to me that Patrick Cummins is an outstanding captain. Um, Broad is is been around such a long time. Um, he, I think, has more tactical acumen than uh, than Root, but then again, most people do, to be honest. Uh, so I, I think we've got a template in Australia that's shown that it can work, and I think uh, if they if they talk to players who've who've played under that system, um, it'd be interesting to see if it could work for England. They've still got a bit of time. The first test is not until June, I don't think. Right, right, right. So, okay, taking all that on board. Um, I think uh, it's going to be an interesting couple of weeks for Key. But what about Coach? Is it going to be somebody like Graham Ford or somebody like Peter Moore? Well, the 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 drums are beating for Gary Kirsten, as I understand it. I think he is the most likely candidate at the at the moment. And you know, I I I don't I never know that much about uh, coaching. Um, I know he's used to be coach at, at India. Um, we know about uh, what we know about Gary Kirsten is that he's a hard-nosed South African. He's had plenty of experience playing cricket in England. Once made 275 against England in about uh, 27 hours cricket, I think. Uh, so um, he's an experienced international cricketer. He'll obviously have the respect of the uh, dressing room. He's been on the international stage for a while. Um, he seems as good a candidate as any to me. Uh, all coaches have ups and downs. All coaches have got uh, high points and low points. All coaches fall out with some players the way they succeed with others. Um, you know, let's let's see what happens. Um, English cricket, it, it needs coaching, but more than that, it needs leadership. It needs people who say and do the right things at the right time. It needs clarity. It needs a little bit of humility. Um, terrible things like calling off the Bangladesh tour at short notice and not going to Pakistan and um, this kind of thing. Uh, we've got to have the leadership which grips that sort of stuff and says, look, you know, the, there's, there's an obligation here to the world game. There's an obligation to our fans. There's an obligation to cricket fans around the world. And we're, we're just not going to do this sort of stuff in the future. We're going we're gonna to stick with what we say we're going to do. Mm -hmm. And we're going to pay uh, the, the due respect to the likes of the West Indies who came here at the height of COVID and lived in bubbles and played uh, matches so that the ECB would have some income from television. We're going to repay them properly. Uh, and not uh, not do the kind of things that they're, they're doing. So if Rob Key can provide that, um, I'm not sure what's in his record that shows he can. I'm not sure what's in his record that shows he can't uh, either. So there's uh, it could go either way there. But if Gary Kirsten can play a role in providing uh, a leadership, not just coaching, not just direction, but proper leadership, for the game, um, and obviously in England, the pinnacle of the game is the Test Match team, then 
I think that's that's going to be a good appointment. He has as much chance as any, I expect, of being able to do that. And a little bit of history is that England tend to play better test match cricket under coaches from other countries. Uh, I don't think that's necessarily by chance. I think it's because the perspective that's offered uh, by an overseas coach is one that benefits uh, the English cricketer. And so um, I'd be I'd be perfectly uh, happy if Gary Kirsten gets the gig. Fair enough. Let's see if that's what it's going to transpire. Also, well, moving on a little bit with the other news of the cricketing field. So Ramiz Raja, who's been... Uh, who's currently the PCB chairman, but was a political appointee almost, must be said, when his uh, former captain Imran Khan was the prime minister. Now that there is a change in political leadership, maybe his position is a bit under threat. So I follow a bit of news uh, outside of, uh, you know, the regular channels as well. And I hear names like Najam Sethi, a couple of other names being mentioned. Uh, though it'll, it'll remain very interesting as to see uh, whether they will really change an appointee who's been for all for all, uh, at least uh, people who are looking from outside in doing a decent job. I would like to hear your thoughts on this. Well, my, my thoughts is that there is there is no... What you do with Pakistan cricket is you don't try to follow the machinations behind the scenes. You don't try to follow the captaincy. You don't try to follow the selections that come and go. What you do is you luxuriate in this seemingly endless conveyor belt of talent whether it's the delight of watching Babar Azam bat in all three formats who is just fantastic whether it's a player like Mohammad Rizwan coming onto the scene and being so brilliant uh, behind the stumps as well as in front of the stumps uh, whether it's Nazim Shah at 16 bowling in Australia whether it's uh, some of the Pakistan players who are playing in in England now, the aforementioned Rizwan is in England playing with Pujara uh, at Sussex. There's also uh, Harris Rauf, Hassan Ali. Uh, I don't know if you've seen his Yorker that uh, broke the stump in half for Lancashire in the last round of championship matches. But my brother sent me an urgent message saying Hassan Ali is bowling like a right arm Wazim Akram. And uh, you look at that delivery, and sure enough, it is like a right arm Wazim Akram. Um, what you do with Pakistan cricket is you you let the the endless chaos that goes on in Pakistan cricket wash over you, and then you just wait for the players to turn up, and you delight in their unique skills in lots of ways, um, but also the the energy that they bring to a game. Uh, the sheer joy that they that they bring to it, and they've been an ornament of English cricket since I can remember. Uh, it was Mushtaq Muhammad, I think, uh, when I was growing up, and I remember seeing Imran Khan bowl like the wind, Lords, for Sussex. Imran Khan at one end for Sussex, and Garth Larue at the other. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was wow. County cricket. Wow. Some names. <laughs> county there. cricket. Yeah, okay. and I saw them at that at Lords. So Pakistan to me is is just this conveyor belt of talent that we should enjoy and cherish. And we're very fortunate at the moment in the English domestic game that we've got so many uh, Pakistani players playing for them, uh, largely, it seems, as a result of uh, the IPL and visas and all that kind of stuff, which is another aspect of the game that I don't really bother with because it can sap all your energy. 
no i know what you mean sometimes there is such a thing as uh having too much of what you like right well it is but it's it's you know you look at you look at a baba azam or you look at a mohammed rizwan and you wonder why they're not playing in the IPL and then you read that there's issues to do with visas and everything else and as soon as you start going or as soon as i start going down that rabbit hole of the po- the politics of cricket and the big politics behind the politics of cricket in the subcontinent um you know sri lanka with its uh, approach to selection and so on from the the government i i i'm i'm not going to live long enough to understand it and i'm not going to live long enough to to have it as part of my life so i'm afraid i edit it out and as i do with a, a lot of stuff around cricket i i decide what i'm going to enjoy and i maximize that and the stuff that i'm not going to enjoy i note it in passing and i move on yeah <laughs> a wise approach you stick to the cricket that you really <laughs> like and nothing wrong because you also generate some content out of it so that's always good yeah so another news well uh, the dutch coach Uh, Ran Campbell, who was uh, in a coma, has at yep. least been declared stable. He's out of sedation, and he's sort of responding uh, to you know people, and he's able to be conscious. But uh, still, you know, it's still uh, a fair way out of the woods for him. We wish him all the best. Yeah, it was it was it was disturbing news to see that, and I understand Mitchell Marsh has been in in uh, hospital as well in, in yeah, India. So, that's COVID. Hmm. Yeah, we 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 wish these. Uh, these people uh well um you know sportsmen sportsmen despite the fact that in their youth they're, they're highly fit and highly trained they they can be susceptible to the kind of uh, slings and arrows of outrageous fortune that, that can come any of our ways um with illness and other things and uh, wish all the best to Ryan Campbell absolutely so the last topic i wanted to discuss today is well graham smith Uh, has been cleared of all racism charges by the uh, i think it's called the social justice and nation building commission right so he was then charged yeah. with three counts of uh, potential uh, racist behavior but he's been cleared of all of these and uh, there's still another a uh, big one left that of mark boucher which will probably happen sometime in june we hear and he's the current coach of the men's team and we don't know how it will go maybe they they might even pursue that he be dismissed if the charges are proven and so on what are your thoughts on this well i i don't know enough about it uh, really um obviously i grew up uh when apartheid was uh, a huge uh, issue in the uk i i remember seeing some um graffiti and i think finsbury park that said uh yes to both them no to bota uh who was pw bota at that yeah, time yeah. was the leader of the apartheid regime in south africa um obviously i remember the the boycotts the uh the uh, gooch tour the the gatting tour um i read with immense sorrow of the uh, many of the west indian team that towards south africa under the boycott and how they were ostracized and the price they paid not all of them by any means but some of them um and regret their their decision uh, their absolutely understandable decision to make uh, what money they could from the game and and set up their lives uh which didn't work out for them um so i'm very much aware i i can't go past Trafalgar Square uh, I used to ride a motorbike and ride a pedal bike in London for a long time but when I go past Trafalgar Square I I can't go mm-hmm. go 
down that road. I can't walk down there now without seeing the 24-hour protest outside the South African embassy in my mind's eye because every time I went past there when first I came to London and all through the 80s, uh, there will be the protests going on outside South Africa House in Trafalgar Square there, um, uh, protesting apartheid. Uh, so things have, have moved on, but you know, if we think that that everything uh, changed uh, for every person in terms of their beliefs, their attitudes, their their opinions, their language, their understanding. Uh, when Nelson Mandela walked out on that extraordinary day on his long walk to freedom, um, then we're not we're misunderstanding human nature. Um, I understand there may have been cabals in the uh, South African dressing room at the time, and groups of players differentiating themselves perhaps by ethnicity or by language group, and so on. And you know that that happens in in many sports teams, but what leadership does is that it breaks those things down and it brings a team together and it ensures that unacceptable behavior is stamped out. I don't, as I say, I don't know enough about it, but what's, what's clear is that, is that um, what may have been acceptable in the past is clearly not acceptable anymore. And that some kind of, of reckoning, some kind of acknowledgement, some kind of, dare one say truth and reconciliation uh, may be required in order to bring together um, generations uh, who have um, different attitudes as to what is and is not acceptable and that's the case in lots of parts of the of the world um, it's not denying that uh, that justice be done but I I I, I do think that um, that what happens 30 years ago or 20 years ago needs to be acknowledged, but how much that should become a, an absolute obstacle to the best decisions being made 20 years later. Um, I'm, I'm not, I'm not sure. I, I don't like the idea of, of people being made persona non grata. I do not like the idea of there being no opportunity for redemption. And I do not like the idea of people being on a kind of secret list who will never be considered for certain jobs or certain honours or certain um, opportunities because mm -hmm. of things they may or indeed may not have done in the past. Right. I think uh, truth and reconciliation are two very important words. And I think both of those things have served South Africa as a nation as well as anybody could possibly have expected in those grim, grim days. You know, I remember Steve Biko being killed and, you know, Sharpville happened before I was born, but Soweto happened, you know, in my teenage years. So, um, you know, I, I, and I know, uh, I know a little of what, what was going on there. Um, but truth and reconciliation are two good words, whether it, at the level of level of nation building or at the level of team building and i hope that south africa get the truth and they get the reconciliation that allows uh the team and south african cricket to benefit from the extraordinary rainbow nation talent um which recently showed itself in in the rugby world cup for example and in the past has showed itself in 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 cricket and i hope to show itself again 
right that's right so but you know when it comes to uh, even when you sort of try to reconcile these things there has to be a a viewpoint on what exactly is still right going forward if something that is being meted out appears to be revenge driven then that will only cause those that are either in the wrong or perceivedly in the wrong uh, they would take up the same sort of an approach or a behavior when it comes their turn right and so on and so on you want to avoid well, it, yeah you want to, you want to avoid a, a cycle of of recrimination Absolutely. and revenge you want to be able to have the truth have a punishment uh, which fits the crime when appropriate a reconciliation and a, a moving forward because the world just isn't big enough and time doesn't last long enough to to continue uh, endlessly relitigating a past endlessly uh, renegotiate or returning to what someone said or didn't say and whether the punishment was enough at the time or whether there should be more or, or whether there should be a reconsideration um, sooner or later if we're going to build a new world in every sense and by god the generation that's younger than mine need to do that my generation haven't uh, done very well with it if they're going to do that they need to pull on on all the talents not just the talents with whom they agree or the talents with whom their their opinions are in sympathy but all the talents of a a world that <clears throat> is always more complicated than we think it is and amongst people who always have more shades of of greater than than uh, than uh, positions that are entirely uh, one side or the other that would be my view Hmm, a good one as well interesting interesting thanks for those wonderful wonderful thoughts and uh, you know i i also like that you actually uh, gave your um, summary of views on county cricket and where it stands so that's a very good perspective for me as well as uh, the listeners of the show so we once again like to thank you gary for being a part of this podcast and hope to have you soon again maybe on another episode and uh, before we let you go would you like to plug where you'd be available on the social media as well as some of your latest work if you would like to uh yeah you can find me at the guardian every monday with county cricket at talking uh, points the final over of the week you can on twitter at gary nailer 999 and you can find me at gorilla cricket from time to time talking like this uh i just like to add my thanks to you and to the listeners it's been a delight thanks a lot we wish all our listeners a good day wherever they might be listening from bye 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 bye. This is the Armchair Cricket Podcast. <laughs>